Hello, everyone, and welcome to our latest EMIR Touchpoint podcast. My name is Simon Lovegrove, Global Director of Financial Services Knowledge here at North Maria Fulbright. In this podcast, we focus on horizon scanning from a financial services regulatory perspective in APAC. And opening this podcast, I'm very pleased to be joined by James Morris and Timothy Chan uh, from our Sydney office. Welcome, James, Timothy. And James, if, we, if you could start giving us your thoughts for what 2024 holds from an Australian perspective. Sure, absolutely, Simon. And uh, thank you for uh, inviting me to speak on it. Uh, look, I think to summarise where Australia is at, it's very much a uh, a move towards modernising um, the Australian regulatory framework, uh, which in many areas of, uh, of regulation has been in place for uh, for a couple of decades now. So well well overdue a, a refresh, uh, and there's there's really quite a lot uh, going on. Um, but looking at, at a couple of the key points, maybe if I start with uh, with payment system regulation. Uh, because that's very topical at the moment. In fact, the government has just, uh, as of last week, released a, a new consultation paper. Uh, and it's it's really all tied into to really the, the digitisation um, and the, the changes that people, uh, in the way that they're using the payment system at the moment. Uh, so one of the main ways, if we, we give a very simple example, uh, Australians have been making and receiving payments uh, is, through, uh, is through digital wallets. Uh, now, due to the current scope of our, our current payment system regulation, uh, the Reserve Bank of Australia, which is the uh, the relevant regulator in the in the space at the moment, uh, has limited power to regulate these types of products within the payments ecosystem. And that's not, not an uncommon story uh, in the, uh, the regulatory environment as uh, as technology moves on. Uh, now, as I alluded to, this, this may soon change. A consultation paper uh, has come out. Uh, which is all about uh, moving towards a change to uh, the old Payment Systems Regulation Act, uh, with the uh, the overriding purpose of ensuring both the uh, the regulators and the government can address new risks related to payments uh, as the provision of payments continues to evolve uh, and increase in 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 its complexity. Uh, and there are really a couple of of key updates. Uh, first of all. Um, it's about updating the regulatory framework to ensure it's fit for purpose for the for the modern economy. Uh, and the proposed uh, new licensing framework for payment service providers, uh, which will bring in a lot more entities than, uh, than is currently uh, the case under the existing regulation, uh, will ensure payment services, including uh, new payment technologies are appropriately regulated, or at least that's the intention. Uh, and in addition to that, the Reserve Bank of Australia uh, will be able to authorise industry bodies to ensure a better alignment of core technical standards uh, in the payments ecosystem. So that's one area where we're seeing real uh, efforts to modernise the way that uh, that the regulation operates uh, in Australia. Uh, another one which has been on the agenda, uh, not only in Australia, but also globally, is uh, in the buy now, pay later uh, space. Obviously, a, a very popular product, one that's become uh, uh, almost a, a secondary uh, uh, payments uh, method for uh, for consumers uh, in relation to a whole range of products, uh, and is a, is a type of facility that has has clearly evolved uh, incredibly since uh, uh, the the early days of buy now pay later services. Uh, and, and the proposal here, it, it's been uh, the same uh, in other jurisdictions, including the United Kingdom, uh, is essentially to regulate these types of uh, products as 
uh, essentially within existing consumer credit frameworks. Uh, in Australia, that would force, uh, for example, uh, a buy now, pay later provider to uh, uh, obtain an uh, Australian credit license uh, and to carry out background checks uh, before uh, uh, providing the relevant uh, the relevant facility. Uh, so again, uh, just another way of uh, of how the regulation is uh, is evolving uh, with other challenges. Now, maybe the the final point I'd raise is is looking at the sort of the environment that we find ourselves in Australia. Um, and we're seeing uh, some real challenges, and this is not limited to our country, uh, with both high inflation and uh, the resulting increase in uh, in interest rates, uh, particularly home loan interest rates. Uh, now, that of itself has led to increased risks for consumers. Government is very focused on, on those risks and uh, is not only looking at uh, other changes to regulation, but also an increase in uh, potentially enforcement activity uh, where uh, entities uh, get it wrong. Um, and that's a natural consequence of, uh, of that type of, uh, of environment uh, where uh, consumer protection comes very much to the, uh, to the forefront. Um, so we, we're seeing some changes there. We're, we're seeing a lot of uh, enforcement action around greenwashing uh, and poor disclosure. Uh, and uh, one of the regulators, ASIC, has been and, and will be taking more greenwashing interventions uh, we expect as uh, as the year goes on and we move into uh, into next year. Uh, so a lot of focus of, of firms has been on ensuring that uh, uh, that greenwashing uh, risks are, uh, are minimised or uh, or removed. Um, and then, as I alluded to, rising interest rates are posing challenges for mortgage holders uh, as repayments become more costly. Um, we're seeing an increase in mortgage stress. We're seeing um, again, through the increase in, in interest rates, uh, uh, an intention to curtail uh, spending. Uh, now, ASIC have flagged that uh, they'll be taking financial, uh, taking enforcement action against financial services participants uh, whose actions unfairly impact small businesses, uh, including in relation to unfair contract terms. Big focus of 2023 uh, for a lot of uh, institutions uh, in terms of looking at their documentation. Uh, and other areas relating to insolvency and uh, the promotion and supply of high-risk or, or unsuitable products through the uh, through the design and distribution obligations to ensure that those types of products are, are fit for purpose, including buy now, pay later products. So that's probably a, a bit of a snapshot from me, but I might pass over now to my uh, my colleague Tim, uh, who will uh, run through a couple of other areas. Thanks, James, and yeah, great points, and I agree with you. Um that the focus I think over the next 12 months is going to be on the steps the government um, might want to take to modernise the financial services um, regulation in Australia. Uh, a few extra things I wanted to touch on. This month the government just released its final response um, to the quality of advice inquiry um, that has been running um, in Australia. Um, this has been an area of significant regulatory interest um, for the past few years as to whether the existing advice framework, financial advice framework has been appropriate. And interestingly, the outcome of that inquiry has been to establish a new class of financial advisor and to enable financial institutions such as banks, insurers, and superannuation companies to provide a form of personal advice uh, without 
the same um, high regulatory burden that they would um, be required to meet under the current legislative framework. And the real reason for that is to enable better access for consumers to good advice. And I think that's really what the government is wanting to achieve is to provide um, a more modern uh, regulatory framework for financial services to enable consumers um, to be in a better financial position uh, through the financial services that they are obtaining. So it'll be interesting to see how um, that will be implemented. Although the government has committed to um, creating that new class of financial advisor and enable financial institutions to provide this um, more personalized advice to consumers, um, we expect that during 2024, um, they will release the draft legislation for consultation by stakeholders um, to implement that. And I guess another thing I wanted to cover is the alignment, I guess, whilst we're seeing Australia take with um, our counterparts uh, in the UK and the EU in relation to the operational resilience of financial institutions, so across the banking sector and the insurance sector. So in the UK, um, the operational resilience regime has been in place for some time now, and in the EU, um, similar um, reforms are occurring with DORA. And I guess with Australia, we're kind of jumping on the bandwagon now with um, the Australian Prudential Regulator, APRA, um, just releasing um, this year the finalised Prudential Standard CPS 230, which is focused on operational resilience. And this just shows um, the regulator's commitment to ensuring the resilience of the financial services sector. Um, and it is, I guess, uh, aligning the position Australia is taking with the rest of the um, the world in making sure that entities, financial institutions uh, are well resourced to counter any potential interruptions to their business processes. And this is going to be quite a big task and exercise for the financial institutions involved. Um, they'll have to classify their service providers into material service providers or critical service providers and revise um, the contracts with those providers. Um, and it's going to be a, a multi-year project really with um, targets for certain things to be implemented by middle of 2024 and um, go live really in 2025. So um, that's a big exercise for the banks and insurers here. And that's in conjunction with that, we have the financial accountability regime or FAR uh, coming into force um, next year. Uh, that's going also going to be a very significant reform for the senior personnel of banks, insurers, and superannuation companies here, requiring them to um, have a clear set of responsibilities that they are accountable for and have those set of responsibilities um, uh, mapped out by the entity and those responsible persons need to be registered with the prudential regulator as well. So again, this is kind of aligning with what in, we're seeing, we have seen already in the UK with the responsible persons regime. Um, it's now applying to Australia. And again, it's going to be not so much for the banks because they already are subject to a similar regime, but definitely for the insurers 
uh, a very big change in the way that they are going to be operating. And in terms of enforcement activity, I agree with you, James, there's been certainly a lot of regulatory um, enforcement, particularly around um, consumer protection uh, in the insurance space, for example, the Consumer Conduct Regulator, ASIC, has been taking um, a very hard line to a number of the reforms that the Royal Commission into Financial Services recommended a few years ago. And we expect that to continue into 2024. Um, they've been prosecuting some very high-profile uh, uh, financial institutions in relation to conduct under the unfair contract terms regime and the product design and distribution obligations. So it's clear that the transition period is now over and we're going into a period of enforcement now and we expect to see um, more enforcement activity by ASIC into 2024. And taking a quick look into InsurTech and FinTech, the Australian government has released a consultation paper into the regulation of crypto asset platforms or digital asset platforms, I should say. And we submitted a, a submission to the consultation and we expect the next year government will release some draft legislation in terms of how best to regulate digital asset platforms. Um, it's, it is expected that they will be integrated into the existing financial services licensing regime in Australia, and they'll be subject to similar requirements that other financial services licensees already operating in the market are required to abide by. Uh, so, yeah, so that's a snapshot from me. Back to you, Simon. Thanks, um, Tim James. Uh, that was very, very useful. And um, I did note that on our regulation tomorrow blog in October, you wrote a very useful um, update on the proposed regulatory framework for crypto exchanges and other digital platforms. And also, uh, as always, I should plug the very useful uh, regulatory roundup, wrap up, sorry, that Australia produces, uh, which covers regulatory developments on a monthly basis. So we now move from Australia to Hong Kong and joining us is Itelka Bugadi, a partner in our Hong Kong office. Uh, Itelka, great to have you with us today. And what does 2024 hold for Hong Kong from a financial services regulatory perspective? Thanks, Simon. Um, let's do a bit of a, a, a recap on 2023 and, and then a look forward to 2024. I think 2023 really in Hong Kong was driven by very much by fintech and digital assets, um, regulatory developments, and to a lesser extent, sustainable finance. Um, and I think that will continue into the next year as well. So just a quick roundup. Um, uh, of the year and then some horizon scanning on what the regulators have planned for next year. So starting maybe with the, the HKMA in terms of the highlights of this year, um, I think one of the main ones uh, that they would say is really the, the, the world's first tokenized government green bond, um, which uh, they helped the government launch this year. This was really about demonstrating the compatibility of Hong Kong's legal and regulatory environment with this you know, very innovative issuance format. And we can expect uh, to see more around this space next year and also other tokenization projects coming online. Um, 
the MA also announced various initiatives uh, around Hong Kong FinTech Week uh, to strengthen their FinTech capabilities. So one of these was uh, the launch of um, what they call FPS, Pay QR payment, which basically links Hong Kong's FAQ, the payment system, with Thailand's Pompey system. So that's already in play. Um, they're very much announcing further collaboration with the market to explore additional use cases for distributed ledger technology and capital markets. So again, um, already announced the second tokenized government green bond. And they've completed the first phase of the e-Hong Kong dollar pilot program which essentially aims to explore the commercial viability uh, and potential uses for retail central bank digital currency. So that's quite exciting. The uh, MA also together with the SFC, which is the securities regulator, um, updated their guidance to existing licensed intermediaries in relation to virtual asset related activities. Uh, in particular in relation to dealing and advisory services and also to cater for retail clients, which is a new development in Hong Kong, and also additional investor protection uh, measures. So there's now a virtual asset knowledge test um, and certain restrictions around more complex products. Um, the, together with the insurance authority, the SFC, the HKMA, um, published what they call the Hong Kong FinTech Roadmap, which is essentially the regulatory initiatives over the next 12 months for promoting FinTech adoption in the financial services sector. So whether that's around various summits and conferences, clarifying the regulatory requirements, uh, bolstering the supporting infrastructure, um, talent programs, and also uh, ways to offer financial support through subsidy schemes. Um, another big development was around uh, launching uh, the consultation process for stablecoins, which will be released early next year. So next year, we can look forward to a stablecoin-related licensing regime, which I think the market is very much looking forward to. We've had a refresh of some AML guidelines, um, and there's also a proposal to simplify what is currently a three-tier banking structure into a two-tier system. So looking ahead into 2024, what are we going to see from the HKMA? I think there's going to be further work in the cross-border payments landscape. So at the wholesale level, um, there's an expectation that uh, the Enbridge platform, which was co-founded by the HKMA, which is essentially a platform based on DLT on which central banks can issue and exchange CBDCs, will become operational on the retail level. There's going to be more um, bilateral connection between various instant payment systems. The second focus point, which I alluded to earlier on, was around sustainable finance. So there's very much um, the push to develop a green classification framework to help banks to identify environmentally sustainable activities and then to align their various business decisions with these goals in mind and to help the transition to a low carbon future. Um, there will be a cloud-based platform for physical risk assessment um, and helping also to collect and use data. Um, Hong Kong is also the first Asian jurisdiction mandating TCFD-aligned climate-related disclosure across the financial sector by 2025. So there's a lot of work going on in this area. Um, the use of data is a big priority. So the government is establishing a digital policy office. 
There is also push for the company's registry to become the first government data source to be connected to the HKMH commercial data interchange. And there's a lot of work to streamline things like KYC. The third focus is just the mainland China opportunities. Um, so around uh, the offshore RMB liquidity pool. So there's now an enhanced currency swap agreement with the PBOC. Um, there's further upgrades uh, for the connect schemes between mainland China and Hong Kong and an operational upgrade of the central money markets unit, which is the central securities depository. So I think a busy year ahead for the HKMA. In terms of the SFC, the Securities and Futures Commission, again, very heavy on the digital asset side in 2023. The big launch, of course, was the regulatory licensing regime for virtual asset service providers, which at the moment is restri restricted to centralized exchanges. There were also various guidelines around tokenized securities related activities. Uh, there were guidelines around uh, how the SFC would consider allowing tokenization of SFC authorized investment products for retail offering in Hong Kong. And as I alluded to, the joint guidance with the HKMA on intermediaries, virtual asset related activities. In terms of the listing regime, the SFC worked closely with the Hong Kong Stock Exchange around a framework for, for a new listing regime for specialist technology companies, which came online in March. Um, there's an ongoing consultation on implementing a uh, uncertificated securities market. They've launched an investor identification regime um, and also bolstered some of the enforcement related provisions in the securities legislation. Looking ahead to 2024, I think, um, practically speaking, we're going to see a lot more of the VASP applications actually going through the licensing process. Um, the SFC has already announced that it's going to be sponsoring and supporting the development of a voluntary code of conduct for ESG ratings of data product providers um, that are providing products and services in Hong Kong. So this is going to be developed by an industry-led working group led by ICMA. And the first draft will be ready in 2024 for consultation. There is some new guidance coming online on risk management for futures contracts dealings. Um, so again, I think like the HKMA, we can really see a trend here around the digital space and the ESG and green sustainable green financing. In terms of overall, maybe a couple of words on the on the on the budget highlights uh, for the Hong Kong administration. Again, a real focus on the digital economy. So artificial intelligence, there's a 500 million um, pot earmark to, to launch a digital transformation support pilot program to assist SMEs in applying ready-to-use basic digital solutions. There's another $200 million earmarked to, to enhance the operation of the IM Smart platform to improve the user experience. There's a real push for green tech. Uh, uh, green tech developments and a new green fire center is going to be launched. And sort of the uh, third and fourth planks that I think are worth mentioning here is around um, attracting enterprises and talent. So there's a new regime coming online for the redomicilization of companies back to Hong Kong and a new capital investment entrance scheme. And then Web3 is a big focus. So there's some funds earmarked to expedite the development of the Web3 ecosystem and also a new task force to, to advise on the sustainable development of the virtual asset industry in Hong Kong. And that's all quick roundup from Hong Kong. Thanks, Adelka, for that. 
very helpful update. Uh, so much going on and so much to look forward to in Hong Kong, particularly on the fintech side. Also, when you were doing your year in review, I was reminded of the very good update that you produced on our Regulation Tomorrow blog concerning the SFC and the HKMA guidance for intermediaries and banks on virtual asset related activities. So now we move on to uh, Singapore, where I'm very pleased to be joined by Wilson Eng, a financial services partner in our Singapore office. And, and Wilson, over to you. What does 2024 bring for Singapore? Well, thanks, Simon. Um, I think firstly, 2023 was really a year marked by significant levels of new legislation and enforcement in Singapore, particularly in the area of financial crime and specifically in respect of the country's anti-money laundering and counter-terrorism uh, financing efforts. So, for example, new AML and CFT requirements were introduced for licensed housing developers. In addition, uh, in, in relation to the need to develop and implement internal policies and controls to manage and mitigate money laundering and terrorism financing risks, compliance with these requirements would be crucial and penalties for failure to comply include a fine and possible revocation or suspension of the housing developer's license. And also a particular note in Singapore on the enforcement front was a massive nationwide AML operation conducted by multiple enforcement agencies in Singapore that made the news. There were um, mul multiple simultaneous rates uh, to date, approximately uh, 2.8 billion Singapore dollars worth of assets have been seized. They include property, uh, luxurious vehicles, gold bars, uh, bags, watches, jewelry, uh, and, and such like. This has prompted ongoing probes by various sectorial regulators, including those overseeing corporate service providers, real estate agents, financial institutions, and others. And as to whether these companies and individuals had complied with their AML and CFT obligations. And as we head into the new year 2024, uh, we foresee heightened scrutiny of companies' compliance with these same AML CFT requirements, with enforcement action very likely to be taken uh, very seriously in respect of breaches. We also anticipate potential new legislation and regulation in that space, the government in Singapore has noted that a number of the suspects in the operation I mentioned earlier had purchased high-value assets like cars, banks, liquor, ornaments, which are currently not regulated in Singapore. So this is unlike assets like gold bars and some watches and jewelry, which are covered by existing legislation. The Singapore's AML CFT regime adopts a risk-based approach that focuses on areas assessed internationally by the Financial Action Task Force to present higher money laundering risks. The government has stated it will therefore examine whether Singapore needs to extend these AML CFT requirements to new classes of assets beyond what the uh, FATF has recommended. Uh, next, uh, one, one aspect we anticipate is dawn rates to be a, or regulator inspections to be a pertinent concern for companies in 2024. I think post-pandemic, there appears to have been an uptick in the authorities' willingness to exercise these powers of enforcement that include the power to conduct non-rates. With the prevalence of hybrid working 
as a result of the pandemic. Uh, it may further be the case that dawn rates will be conducted not just on the company's office premises, but potentially on domestic premises as well, such as residences of key employees of interest. Documents and information now are more likely than not held in digital form. And so dawn rates conducted in 2024 and beyond are likely to have a significant focus on digital evidence being seized. Companies should therefore ensure there are appropriate dawn rate procedures and protocols which are refreshed to cater to this new era of dawn rates. Dawn rate training, mock dawn rates should also be conducted on a regular basis to ensure employees are prepared in the event of an actual rate happening and that the company's interests are protected and preserved to the fullest extent possible. And on a final note, I would say sanctions. Sanctions compliance and enforcement is likely to be another key issue for the year ahead. The sanctions landscape is uniquely affected by geopolitical tensions and it's ever evolving. Now, given these unprecedented levels of sanction, sanctions activity in relation to Russia's invasion of Ukraine, the authorities in the US, UK and EU are now turning their attention to the enforcement of those sanctions which may have been violated. And with this increased focus, it is even more important for organizations to have in place a robust sanctions compliance program, ensure that all sanctions compliance assessments are comprehensively documented, and that they stay up to date on relevant developments and be ready and in a position to respond if any sanctions um, violation was to be detected within the organization so that they can report, uh, self-report if necessary, after carrying out the, the relevant investigations. So um, Simon, that's a fair bit to look forward to in the, in the new year 2024. Thank you, Wilson. Uh, lots to look out for uh, next year. Many thanks for that update. Thank you. Thanks, Wilson, for that very interesting update. Like Australia, and also Hong Kong, so much going on in Singapore and so much to look forward to. So that concludes this podcast. We will, of course, continue to cover developments on our Regulation Tomorrow blog. But if you have any questions, then do please reach out to our speakers or your usual Northern Rose Fulbright contact. Many thanks for listening. Goodbye.